So yeah, there was no single incident that I could sit and go, oh, that was, you know, we all almost died right there. And the fact that we have multiples running at the same time, I could have one on the shoal and one just sailing clear. But the learning that you get over that experience, you know, people on the internet glibly say, hey, you should fail as fast as you can and then start over again. It's like, yeah, we've been doing that for 26 years. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. If you're not already a member of our community, please go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to join and receive the following five free benefits. The risk reduction checklist, my weekly investment research email to help you increase return, a 25% discount on all A Stotts Academy courses, instant access to our Facebook community to get to know the guests and fellow listeners, and finally, my curated list of the top 10 episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Chris Slee. Chris, are you ready to rock? I am. I'm definitely ready to rock. <laughs> yes. And I see you got a cup of coffee, 7 a.m. Is that right? 7.20? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's pandemic early here. So there you go. <laughs> and the, the <laughs> magic of the internet allows me to be in beautiful Bangkok, Thailand, and you to be in amazing Dublin, Ohio, outside of Columbus. So... Yeah. Those don't sound equal, but <laughs> one's a little more exotic than the other. <laughs> Although I have to say, being an Ohio guy, I, uh, I watch these guys on YouTube called the Bearded Butchers. And I can't remember, they're, they're west, southwest of Akron. So really kind of center of Ohio or a little bit closer to the center. But check them out for anybody out there. Uh, if you can, yeah, if, you, if you enjoy meats, these guys, the two of them are just amazing. And they take you inside their butchery in Ohio. And they just, you know, I just watched this one on ribeye. You know, what's the difference between grass-fed, grain-fed, wagyu, and bison, which they also have, they have their whole cattle there. So they've got like their, their hay, their straw, their cattle, and the butchery. So really impressive guys, the bearded butchers from Ohio. I didn't plan on plugging them on the show, but I've enjoyed their videos so much. So anyways, a little trip back to Ohio. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not why we are here today. We are here today to meet Chris Slee. So let me tell you a little bit about Christopher Slee. He's the founder, principal, and chief product officer at AWH, a Dublin, Ohio software engineering firm currently celebrating its 26th year of creating innovative digital products for business clients. At AWH, Chris leads internal and external development teams across all platforms, all applications, from web, mobile, and desktop platform to virtual reality and machine learning. Even though Chris has been programming for more than 30 years, he continues to push the technology envelope. From drones to artificial intelligence, Chris continues to exemplify the spirit of continual learning in the tech space. Chris, take a moment and fill in further tidbits about your life. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was uh, 
you know, I, I know you're from Ohio. I was born and raised here in central Ohio, went to Ohio state and uh, just never left. Every time I go on vacation, I wonder why I live in central Ohio, but I come back to central Ohio. So that's, uh, <laughs> you know, there you go. Cause every place you go then is like, it's a great place here. And you go to the next place and this is a great place. So you, you sort of come back to central Ohio. It's nice. It, it's comforting. It's, you know, and you can just go about your business without too much drama. Whereas I think if I lived in a beach town, I would get too distracted. So. <laughs> Ohio, <laughs> the heart of it all. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Well, I remember, you know, for the listeners out there, I grew up outside of Cleveland, Ohio, in a little town called Hudson. And I really had a great, you know, a great time in my youth in Ohio. I have to admit that the winters were brutal outside of Cleveland in the Cleveland area because of the lake effect from Lake Erie. But generally, it was a great place also for rock and roll, like a lot of great cities like Detroit and others that were really rocking out when I was young. So I really enjoyed that time in Ohio. So anyways, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investments, yeah. thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, so... Just to give you a little background, so for the last 26 years, I've spent my life working with startups and upscaling you know, younger companies that are out to greenfield the digital product, get it out into the market and capitalize on that. And then, you know, and we help many at the same time. So we have engineering teams and product design teams and designers and those kind of things working on, on multiple things at the same time. In the early days, that was easier because people would come to us and go, hey, I need a website right? You know, back in the 90s and then the e-commerce and you go through that whole process. It's a lot more elaborate today because you know products have evolved and the consumer desire for the complexity of products. You know, hey, we, we expect our, our apps to be smarter and do things for us, those kind of things. So in the process of doing that kind of work, we ended up taking on some venture arm where... We will help organizations in that startup phase who may not have traditional funding. You know, we sort of go through that concept of an entrepreneur comes up with an idea. They go through a round of funding called friends and family where they're financing it themselves. And then maybe they find an angel investor and then maybe they find an early stage investor. And then they, you know, they, if they've made it that far, then they're going after a seed investment, you know, those kind of things. We sort of work between the friends and family and angel, you know, into the early seed. And from an engineering perspective, that has nothing to do with the finances and risks sitting around investing in a, in a company that doesn't exist. So while there, I don't have a single worst investment, so there's no Titanic moment where we ran the thing into an iceberg and everyone died. What we have is a series of learnings over years and years and years of running the ship slightly aground, having to drag it off of the shoal <laughs> and then driving it to the next shoal, running it aground and dragging it off the shoal, right? So you have this series of very painful lessons. But you're going in the right direction. Yes. Well, Just from shoal to shoal. Yeah. It turns out open sea would be easier. We keep uh, going around the little islands that we've got, right, to, to maintain our beach metaphor. So yeah, there was no single incident that I could sit and go, oh, that was, you know, we all almost died right there. <laughs> what, 
and the fact that we have multiples running at the same time, I could have one on the shoal and one just sailing clear, right? So, but the learning that you get over that experience, you know, people on the, on the internet glibly say, hey, you should fail as fast as you can and then start over again. It's like, yeah, we've been doing that for 26 years. And I think that one of the very first premises that we have to work on is you have this dual sort of reaction of, I have to believe in the products that we're building hundred mm. percent. If I don't believe in the entrepreneur and the product and the market space and the product market fit, and Hey, this could work. We don't want to do it because we don't want to be associated with, you know, yep. not successful things. And at the same time, that means that you emotionally get drawn into that product and that market and that, and that CEO and that idea. And so there's this sort of pull between rational thought and looking at something and the emotion that goes around the, I have to believe to do it. And at the same time, I need to be skeptical enough to go, it's my money. Am I going to spend it? Right. And that balance shifts back and forth, you know, as you get closer to shore (laughs) and as you get more into open water, right. Those two things become, you know, your steering wheel of what's going to happen. So there are many times where the emotional drive and belief in the product and belief in the entrepreneur lead us ashore, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. ground the ship because you can 100% believe you're right and be 100% wrong. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the things about investing early on is due diligence and continue due diligence and believe your gut sometimes, right? Not just that, you know, Hey, this is great. I, I, and good money after bad. And look, we could power through that, that I keep using this metaphor, but I'm going to stick with it. We, yeah. we're, we can power through that sandbank, right. And make it to the other side. If we're just going fast enough, when we hit it, it's like, you should not be thinking that way. <laughs> you should be thinking about not hitting the shoal, right? And be able to go around it and stay in open water. And mm. Uh, mm. that is a very difficult lesson to teach yourself over years and years and years. You know, I was thinking about in your case and the way you've been through a lot of different experiences. I kind of feel like I want to go through what you learn and then come back to some of some questions I have about some stories. But Maybe you could just share, I mean, that first thing that you've talked about that you learned is that you've got to believe, but you've got to also doubt, but you've got to also do your due diligence continually. Let's just describe what have you learned from all of those years of going, you know, back and forth. Well, we say when when someone comes to us with a product idea and we start to look at them sort of holistically that they have a blurry vision of what they want to build, right? Because they, they can't come and they typically don't have engineering specs and they don't already have a design and they don't, you know, they don't have a running company that they go, oh, I need you to copy this. It, it mm. is something that has never existed before. There also needs to be a healthy bit of skepticism in the fact that they actually understand their business because many times it's the first time they've done it or it's they've been running a successful business and now they're approaching a brand new market. Are they just as foggy on what their business model is and what market they're approaching. And do their customers even want to buy, are their customers A, and do their customers actually want to buy what they're building is B, because that's how we get our money back, right? Yep. 
<laughs> they become successful. They go to a next round of investment. We get bought out or we stay with them for longer. And then, you know, there's, there's monetization on that side. Mm. So understanding that a, someone could sit with a pitch deck and walk through it and everything sounds correct. But then you really start to have to ask, have you ever done this before? And, and entrepreneurs hate that because of course they've never done this before. Cause this is a brand new thing that never existed. And we're approaching the market and you would never ask Zuckerberg when he created Facebook, if he'd done it before, because of course he hadn't. Right. It's like, all right, that's fair. I get that. Right. Mm. Being a rational human being, but at the same time, do you have any experience in this early stage to, you know, late stage sort of product space? And if you don't, it's okay, but know your market. You should know someone who wants to buy your product before you start to build your product. Mm. Otherwise you're building it for yourself. And there's a possibility that you are the niche of one that wants your thing and that there's not a market for it. You know, I went through all the startup ideas that people talked about on the podcast and I came up with six common mistakes that they made. And I thought, I just opened up that file. I thought it could be interesting given your experience. Would you like to hear them? Oh, I would love to hear them. Yes, I would. So number one, most common mistake that startups made, these are only the startups of the people that I interviewed out of the 360. I think I took about 40 of them to compile this list. Number one, bad hiring decisions. Number two, poor management of time and people. Number three, ineffective teamwork and collaboration. Number four, waited too long to start selling. Number five, weak accounting and finance. And number six, low product quality or product market fit. Any thoughts based upon what you've been through? Well, I would agree with all of those. And I think, you know, I hate on, on some of these to, to plug AWAs too hard, but we prevent at least five of those from happening, right? The fact that we have an engineering team, a product team, a design team, you know, it's all that teamwork, management, time to market. And we will normally be the cheerleaders for you've got enough features, go find a client versus no one will buy it if it doesn't do these 18 things. It's like, mm. no, go get two things working really well and let's go find out, you know, customer. well, that might not be the two that they want you're going to know when you put it in front of them, right? So what's the core of the product and what's getting out there? So the things around teamwork and quality and hiring and time to market and market fit, those are all things that we help you with. The one that we have sort of on an outside that we don't is, yeah, if you're not managing your money and your burn rate and you know, those kind of things. Now we do it from a, here's the plan perspective, yep. but we need to make sure that, the spend on the marketing side, the spend on, you know, ads and, and all those kind of things is appropriate to the level that you're, you're spending or you're, you're trying to get a market. But that's interesting. I like your list because yeah. I, I would say as a competitive advantage, we take care of almost all those for early stage and upstarts. That's pretty exciting. And uh, yeah. for the listeners out there that would love to not make any of these <laughs> six mistakes, you know, go to the show. Notes. We made all those mistakes for 26 years. Why yes. would you want to go alone and try to make them all at once, right? Yeah. Exactly. One last thing I'm going to ask you about is what I find very difficult these days is reaching the market. You know, it's one thing to have a great idea and stuff, but, and, you know, I mean, it's everybody's dream that this is going to be on fire and it's going to be viral and everybody's going to, but, you know, for the rest of us, 
that don't have some kind of explosive product like a shaver, yeah, right. you know, for the rest of us that just can't figure out how to get to the market. How See, do you that's do... kits right there though, right? Yeah. That's marketing kits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point. And I find that the hardest part. I just wonder what your experience is with a, a good idea. You know, it's not going to change the world, but it's a good idea that you come across. What's your experience about getting to the market? Yeah. So, and that's where, you know, when we talk about product market fit, we're, we're trying to make sure that the product that you're building has an audience before we build the product. And that's the key because once you can get into an audience that starts buying it now, you know, we're doing mostly business to either business or business to consumer kind of applications. And when we say consumer, we mean our customer's customer is somebody who's sort of in a, a targeted environment, right? So right. whether it's a, we do a lot of healthcare, so a lot of either it's patient oriented or provider oriented or you know, professional, but to understand what their needs are, what you're not, what our customers' needs are, but what our mm. customers' customers' needs are. Yep. And then we live in that space with them and help them in there. So I think that's probably the key is- But it, it, it like used to be, you know, like giving away free samples or free downloads, but people seem to be more skeptical these days. Like it's not as easy because yeah. they're getting a lot of free stuff in front of them, getting them to pay for something that they don't know, getting them to test something has its flaws because, you know, if you're asking them, they may give you something that, you know, I'm just curious, like what works these days out there? Well, we have a, we have a saying that when you're in early product study, you believe the potential customers that you're asking, right? When you're doing surveys, mm -hmm. as soon as you have the MB, the first product and you put it in their hands, you assume they're lying to you and you only watch what they do. So, right. Cause, cause, Hey, well, went free. Hey, would you use this app? And well, and then it's things like never ask that question. Like, Hey, do you think this is a good idea? Never ask that question because of, because you put somebody on the spot and they're going to try to empathetically go, Oh yeah, I would use this every day. It's like, <laughs> would you really? Oh no, but you seem like a nice person. So I'm going to tell you yes. Right. Mm. It's like, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pre-work that goes into magic and, yeah. uh, one of our customers that is having a, a great ride right now and, you know, high, the great, great valuations and they're going to the next level. And yeah, they've been a startup for 13 years. And it seems like just in the last like two years, it's just like, boom. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, these guys came out of nowhere. It's like, these guys have been working in their basement for 10 years to get to the point where it's actually now going up. Right. And now we've got venture capitalists coming in and saying, you know, next round, next round, next round, prepping for a large seed round. Mm. And but they've been doing it. It's not like they came up with the idea a month ago and then and then suddenly they got a 30 million dollar valuation. No, <laughs> they've been working on this for 13 years and it's only in the last two years that they really started to get traction. And it's only in the last year that they really started getting valuations that they needed to get to a good seed round. Mm. and that entire long tail takes effort and you got to know what you're doing. So there's no, I would say that there's no magic in marketing. There is sweat and due diligence and effort. And, and that, that's a great learning for the listener, which is you know, also the point that you need a runway. You need some financing because you have to iterate. You have to work yes. on the product market fit. Sometimes you have to wait, you know, competitors doing something or the market's not ready or the market's distracted. 
And then the time comes. And if you can't finance and support that period to get there, then it ends just before the miracle happens. Yeah. In fact, that company is two brothers and one of them's the CEO and one of them's the primary designer. And neither one of them were working well while they were working with us in the early stage. So this is probably six years ago. Neither one of them were getting paid by their company. They had to pay us, but they, they weren't hmm. being paid. And, and we would have meetings with them at least once a week. And they said the only reason their company still exists is because we that interaction of yeah. once a week, we would have a status report. Here's what's going on. Even though we weren't doing any engineering, we were just looking at product fit. What's the next thing? Is there a trade show that we should be going to because they had a tangible physical product? Mm. And what kept them going at times was the fact that they had to show up with a meeting with us and answer for their actions. That's but, great. Yeah. And that, that it's must, accountability, right? Yeah. And that must feel great. I think, I have a client right now who's got an operating business. They're trying to raise capital here in Thailand. And we meet with them every Monday to go through the construction of their business plan and strategy and the way that they're going to pitch that to investors and all that. And yeah, they've mentioned about the value of the discipline of that meeting. And also there's uh, when you're not in the middle of it, the pain and struggle, and you just step out of it and you listen to someone else that you trust, it is helpful, very helpful, you know, and that's, I can see that in action when I talk to these guys. I'd like to just summarize one thing I take away from your, from your story. And, and I'm going to pull out just a tiny little thing that you said that you didn't, you didn't emphasize, but I want to emphasize it. And that is, you said, listen to your gut. And, you know, that sometimes you have to listen to your gut or your intuition. And the point that I've come to learn from this podcast is that I've come to learn the difference between feeling and intuition, which I, I didn't really understand the difference between the two, but now I can say that intuition is that momentary tinge, that momentary cringe, <laughs> that momentary instant where you feel something and then our bodies and our minds overcome that and it's gone. And we overcome it with, you know, our confidence or we overcome it with logic. But the truth is, is that if there's one lesson I've learned from this podcast, it's to become more aware of that gut or intuition and be, you know, accept it and think yes. about it, search for it, you know, bring it out. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I, I experienced that quite often where you know, all indicators point to, you know, you, you, you use the eight ball, right? All, all indicators point to yes. And there is just something there that it shouldn't be there. And you're and sometimes, you know, you try to convince yourself that why did I have that thought, right? This errant thought goes through your head. Listen to that because that is your, that is your long-term memory. I think going, Hey, there's, you know, I do a lot of machine learning now. So, you know, it's in training machine models and those kind of things for, and for trying to get output for, for clients. And it is just one of those, an outlier. Sometimes you need to pay attention to because it'll, it will change the equation. It's like, well, if I have an outlier thought or an out that intuition feeling, I think it's probably because over an extended period of time, there's been enough outliers that a pattern has developed and you should probably pay attention to it. Beautiful. All right. So based upon what you've learned, 
from all of these experiences, what one action would you recommend our listeners take so they can minimize the shoals or the, you know, hitting the banks and they can maximize the distance they travel or the speed that they travel? I think probably one of the big things is being comfortable with the fact that you don't have all the answers and to be able to surround yourself with people that they don't have all the answers, right? We're all in this big experiment together, you know, as we go forward, there's no magic. There's just learning and application of what you learn to the next thing. So it is okay when someone says, how's this going to work to say, I don't know. And be looking for the people that can bring ideas with you and help you. I always have the joke with my our recruiters that they should always be trying to hire people better than the current staff, only because, look, we want the best. And the only way you're going to hire the best is to, to be uncomfortable with the fact that the person you're talking to is much, much smarter than you are and <laughs> has a lot more experience. And embrace it because those mm. people are there to help you. Right? Yep. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Our goal for the next 12 months is we have tactically, there's several clients that we're trying to get to their next rounds. And that is, that is, that is you know, if someone said, hey, what's AWH's goal? Our goal is always to get our customer to the next level. That is really, at the end of the day, our goal. So from an organizational perspective, it, it is making sure the team is thriving in, you know, the work from home. We've seemed to embrace that. So we've got now employees and clients spread all across the, the globe now. And then I think our next goal is to make sure our company and our employees feel like a team. Cause that, you know, when we're all sitting in the office and we're all next to each other and we're all in, you know, conference rooms, that's easy. Mm. Um, we've been learning how to do that in 20 and 21. So most of our staff says that they don't really want to go back to an office and we're not going to make them. So yeah. that kind of thing. Mm. My personal 21 goal is in the next 12 months is I would like to go on a vacation outside of this house. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you sure go. you will. I'm sure you yeah. will. Well, <laughs> listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community where you gain the five free benefits that I mentioned early, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and join us. As we conclude, Chris, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I think, you know, embrace your ideas, go after it, but learn, keep learning. And that's the key. Beautiful. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.